0: Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. My guest for today is Terry Gelsima. He is an author who just recently completed a book called One Breath, One Step Repeat, One Man's Journey Through Grief. Terry, in July of 2019, you joined a club that nobody ever wants to be a part of. Can, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that journey?
1: Yeah, July 12th, 2019, um, I woke up to a normal day, kissed my wife goodbye. She got out of bed, gave me a hug, which was sort of unusual that day for her, because usually I leave much earlier than her for work, and had a normal morning until the kids called around noon and told me that they couldn't find their mother. I went home, and I found her, and she took her own life that morning. Unexpectedly, obviously, as most suicidal deaths are, and left our family in a place of tremendous turmoil and pain, and started us on a journey and a new story. It was never the story that I was ever expecting to live out or have to communicate or share, but but here I am today. She's an incredibly lovely woman, incredibly generous heart. She is a giving lady who did suffer from anxiety and depression and the depression that led up to her ultimate death um, and taking of her own life really came on in heavy waves. Uh, My kids seen it about six weeks before her passing. I I, probably living more closely to her didn't sense it to that extent until about three, four weeks before, but it was a depression that was deep. It was a, a deep and dark Valley that she just Could not seem to escape from. I do believe that is where her decision ultimately led her to, to saying, you know what? Again, I'm I'm just projecting here, guessing. Would life be better without me? Would there be less pain for my husband and children without my depression and my anxiety? I think there was there was some brokenness in her. There was some shame, as we all carry shame to a degree where maybe I'm not fixable. Maybe I can't be cured of this anxiety, this depression, what goes on between my earlobes. Again, these are all conjectures or projections, but I I think that is part of what, or where her mind went before she made the decision. I think, you know, part of what we had discussed a little bit before, at least in our emails was, you know, unfortunately I'm part of a select club. I don't, that is, like I say, a club I've never expected to be part of. But the journey through the last three years, because now it's been a little over three years, has probably been the most convoluted, twisted waves of successive pain that I've ever felt in my life. I'm an analytical person by nature. Here goes, I'm a Dutchman by nature, so I don't share emotions real quick. There's probably my repertoire of emotions was probably like three, right? You have joy, you have anger, and you have ecstasy, and that's it, right? There it is. and. That all got blown apart when she passed. I was gutted, that'd be the best word I can use. I, I was gutted, I laid on the floor feeling, and, and I hope this is not too hard on the listeners, but I, I think I wanna ex- express the visceralness of this process. I laid on the floor feeling gutted, like my organs are outside my body on the floor. I pleaded to God for a reprieve. I pleaded and pleaded, and the reprieve took about a year and a half to come okay but God was faithful in that to me but it it was a process where that's the best I could I can explain the pain the visceral type of pain of this process of grieving and especially through suicidal death because I think suicidal death has two different components you're a therapist counselor life coach pastor um, if I lose a parent to aging disease I have time to prepare for that as a general rule, right? An acute heart attack, you don't, but if you have a process like cancer that is long and drawn out, you grieve throughout that process and you grieve the loss of that person's body as it continues to slowly fail or disintegrate or deteriorate. And so you start that grieving process and you sort of know at the end of the expectation that, hey, this individual most likely will pass if the cancer this disease process can't be treated. In suicidal situations, such as my wife, not only did I have to deal with death, but I also deal with the trauma of that type of death. Sure. Okay. Because number one, I sure didn't see it coming, nor did any member of this family see it coming. And I guess towards your listeners, and again, I'm preaching to you, the choir already here, but anyone who experienced suicidal death, make sure you have a counselor who can deal with both the aspects of the death mortality, but also the trauma of this. Those are dual, they are tied, they are bound intrinsically to each other. And if you don't have a counselor who's willing to deal with both, find a new counselor because they have to be dealt with concurrently, okay? Um, that was my counselor's ability and discernment to see and I'm thankful for it, um, but it's a harrowing road because again, you have to deal with both processes concurrently. Insured in my Dutch mind it would be nice to deal with one plate spinning in my head versus multiples you know, at the same time. I also think that grief enters your, you know, a lot of, again, I grew up with the idea that grief is a psychological, emotional issue, but it's between your earlobes and that's where it stays. That is completely false. It goes into your body. It enters your protoplasm like a retrovirus going into your DNA and it exerts an effect on your body, which also exerts an effect on your mind. Okay. So my new bedtime was 730 for like the first year and a half. And my new time to arise was five o'clock. That's the internal alarm clock because the, I think the, again, the body and the mind were somewhat disconnected and they were trying to figure out how to reconnect after all the wiring got fried, okay, through this process. So you got to allow yourself to understand that your body is going to respond to this pain and these emotions, uh, and that's normal. It took me a long time to realize that. Grief is also a form, it's a process where, We just don't have good words for it. to Describe it, right? Part of therapy and part of what we do is to say, hey, can we put into words and it becomes real? There's only a few words I know and and some of those words I can't express on this podcast, okay? They belong maybe on the farm or in a Navy shipyard. But the idea, though, is that some words truthfully can express that deep visceral pain and anguish, but we just don't have the vocabulary to necessarily explain that all the time. And it sort of came up with, that's where the title of that book came from, is you get to the place where it's one breath, one step, and you just repeat. You wake up, you take a breath, you step, repeat. That became my mantra. And some days to be truthful, even three years out, it still remains the mantra of like getting through this morning or getting through, you know, it's it's baseline. It's a default statement, but it's very workable. And again, I think it can be used by almost anyone. But that really brought, it just kept me in the moment. It kept me just present to say, all right, break the day into four quarters. (laughs) You wake up, you get the kids on the bus, and that's quarter number one, and you feed yourself. Then quarter number two is you get in the car, you go to work, and you make it to lunch, and you feed yourself. Quarter number three is you go back to work, and you go home, and you cook supper, and you feed yourself. And then the fourth quarter is you do whatever you need to do at home. And you put the kids to bed and you put yourself to bed, and the day is done. And you start fresh and you repeat. Um, I think it just has to go back to just these baseline. For me, it just had it, it removed a lot of the things that were no longer important in my life were quickly swept away. Okay. I also think that the other hard part with grief for me is that it's like taking, and again, speaking to you, you hear this very frequently, I'm sure. But there's moments and traumatic events in life where suddenly about 18 different emotions get fused into one giant Gordian knot. They get welded together and be truthful, I'll probably spend the rest of my life trying to unravel it or understand which each of those little threads or fragments mean and how they impact me now and both my conscious and subconscious and how I function in life. It'll be a journey through the rest of my life. So, and the last thing I'm going to say and I'm going to pass it to you is, Grief is something that I don't believe we ever get over. Mm-hmm. Belief has, grief has to be something that we integrate into, into life. I hear very frequently, well, time will heal that. I'll tell you, I feel very confident if I'm blessed to live to 90, my grief will still be present. And when I speak about Marlis, I'll still cry. And those memories will be as crisp as they were on July 12, okay, uh, 2019. And I believe my children, I believe my 10-year-old, when she's 90 and speaking to her great-great-grandchildren will have that memory as crisp. Time will never erase this. We have to integrate it into our life. We have to find the duality of that, you know, joy and grief, gratitude and grief, safety and grief or lament all can live together and they can live within the same five minutes of each other and we have to integrate that. And that's a very difficult, strenuous Uphill both ways, bare feet in the snow type of process, right? That's what I got, you know, from that perspective. so i'll I'll let you ask questions from here. I don't want to occupy all the suck all the oxygen out of this.
0: no, not at all, Terry. and I'm so grateful to hear you name grief as as a lifelong journey because because you're right. I think there' are some people say grief is an obstacle to be conquered or you know, a battle to be won or, you know, a hurdle to be cleared as opposed to, grief is a gift that I carry with me. It's, it's a reminder that I had was deeply blessed by an experience with a beautiful person, a flawed, but beautiful person for five years, 10 years, 50 years. And when you love somebody, you don't, you don't want to roll, roll back the depth of that bond or that emotion just because, because there's pain that comes in experiencing their loss.
1: Absolutely, I, I I feel there's a direct relationship between how much you love and how much you grieve.
0: Okay. Yeah, and Terry, you incorporated some some poetry into the book as well. Talk about how how music and poetry and words were were useful tools that are kind of carrying you through your grief journey.
1: Yeah, music for me is again. I just looked at bass lines. Right, where where do I connect with my emotions? And music, I'll start with that. Music really was important to me. Um, and here it goes. There was a time, many months, where I could not sing, and not that I'm a great singer. I sing in the car by myself. I was at with the music loud, but you know, most people around, around me in church will cringe. But I I do love music, and I love not only the melodies, the musical notes, the instrumentation, but also the words. And I found myself going through sort of a journey with music where it started with a very simple song, Christian Songs, and then it morphed. And I found that you know what there's there's I went everything from singing bowls, Tibetan singing bowls, to finding peace there, just in sort of settling myself and my mind or centering to raging through screamo music how's that and i won't again use the names of this because your christian website and all that but um some of the, my kids screamo music um boy i'll tell you what the, the author of that song the singer and the way he sang he knew pain he knew death hmm. he described the hospital room there's that okay and the pain and the anguish, and in such a way that was, again, so visceral that it connected. It allowed me to take my grief off leash, okay, and be able to just express myself in the most genuine, authentic manner I could right where I was, and so, and then again, we'd, it'd be like a pendulum just swinging back and forth, sometimes pretty violently initially, but it became more slowly. I could find myself listening to hailstorm, just the music and just the drum beat, just and the intensity and the crescendo of the drum beat as I beat my hands on my steering wheel right over the grief. And it was like, there's a connection point and a release point. It was like the valve was being turned loose and I could just, I could release it. And you know what? Five minutes later, I felt better. And I know that some of my Christian brethren and sisters here would probably be shaking their heads going, Oh, your faith is not great enough. You should go to secular music. And I say this to that, as I love you, my brethren and sisters in Christ, but God created all music and God created each of us to have our own story. And many of those musicians that I listened to, they have experienced mortality and they spoke to my heart and their music spoke to me and it served again as a release. And I think God created, he how do I say? God, there's no such thing as coincidence in my life anymore. I believe that God, when he allowed that individual artist, whether they believed in God or not, formed that song, wrote those lyrics. In some ways, he was saying, hey, 10 years from now, Terry's going to need that. And Terry, got this, I got this built into the cake. It's in the algorithm ready for you. Because it did, and it, it left a lasting impression. It still does. But I got a pretty eclectic, you know, my YouTube thing, now I turn it on. I can go from Christian to Screamo. So the Tibetans and the kids are looking at me, you know, like, what's up with what's up with dad's head. But the other beautiful thing is what type of music is playing in the house when I'm cooking supper and they come home from school. They also can determine what kind of mood their father is. in. <laughs> and guess what? Sometimes they sing with me. And you know, so it's it's it can also be unifying that way as well, just like it is in church. Right. Singing. It's it brings us together.
0: I love that phrase that you just used about taking your grief off leash. And I appreciate the fact that you've had the the wisdom and the self-awareness to say there are other people, whether they're poets or screamo band writers or, you know, Tibetan monks, people who have developed tools or language or even just, just tones or voices mm-hmm. that give your feelings like a channel to run through. Yeah, I, I had a professor once who said that he was just so bored uh, he was working at a church in England, and part of their weekly liturgy is they read the Psalms out loud every single week. And he went to his boss once and he said, "This is really boring. I don't, I don't really know that this is worth doing all the time. Can we mix this up a little bit?" And he says he never forget. The rector looked at him and said, "Son, one day you will need the Psalms." Amen. I love David.
1: I love David in the Psalms um, because here it is all you're in grief. I think. Where I grew up, we had to, I had to compartmentalize my emotions. Yeah. Okay. Don't cry. This is the first Dutch learned thing I learned. I remember is going to my grandpa's funeral and saying, don't cry. He's in heaven. Don't cry. So I didn't cry. I locked it all up. I compartmentalized it. So many of those emotions we compartmentalize, or you know what? You're a professional. You may not use that word, right? You may not act that way. You can't sit on the floor and cry. You don't tell people that you're on the floor crying and weeping and hitting the floor and got snap bubbles coming out of your face. That is another professional demeanor that we need to see it from you or, Hey, you know what? You're a man. You're the father of this household. You're a grandfather. Don't let your kids see you cry. It's a sign of weakness. I disagree completely. I think the authenticity and genuineness of where I am allows my children to be authentic and genuine where they are at, just like your children are, right? I mean, um, and to have this sort of idea that we cannot express emotions, grief creates all the emotions come out with grief. And you have to have an outlet for that grief. You have to have an outlet for those emotions. Again, whether it's constructive, like running, exercising, you know, meditating, lifting weights, whatever, you you've got to have an outlet for it. If you store it, it will it'll ooze out of your body somewhere. It will ooze out of you in negative behaviors, negative statements. Um, you you will not be a constructive force in creation. You will be a deconstructive because your your those emotions are all leashed and they hobble our ability, my ability, to grow, to expand, to move away to a degree from from this pain.
0: Terry, how old were your children when you lost your wife? Uh,
1: I, had, I have seven children. Excuse me, we have seven children. Um, my oldest at that point in time, boy, I'm going to get the math right here, was 29. I had three grandchildren. Then we dropped down to 20. We'll start 29, 27, 25, 23. I had a two 13-year-olds and a 10-year-old at home. Wow.
0: And what was it like for you to help them navigate their grief while you're trying to manage your own? I didn't get the father of the year award
1: most of the time. How's that? Um, there's nothing more painful than to see your kids grieve, especially adult children did better, but the younger ones, I mean, here it goes. I experienced every emotion under the sun. I had children who raged. Here it goes. I had a child who raged just like their father. I raged against death. I raged against this event. Um, Angry all the time. Uh, But this child could light a forest fire that could go up one mountain down the other and sweep across the valley and burn small villages within an hour. Okay. Sort of like California wildfire. I have the other extreme where I have children who froze like a glacier. All their emotions froze. They could not express emotions. They... They just were just completely in their head. They just froze. They, I can say this today, about six weeks ago, one such of those individuals defrosted. It took three over three years for them to regain their childhood back and become a teenager again, but they wouldn't allow themselves to. It was so painful. They could not allow themselves to feel or experience because whenever they felt it, I had kids who had a child who fainted. They got stressed and they just collapsed
0: Hmm.
1: we went through all the medical testing like you know what's going and and again the neurologist is like your daughter's grieving she has ptsd like symptoms she's grieving so grief i mean and then i've got kids who are here's the beauty of it i have a son who's who's on the spectrum who i think actually he was in counseling with the organization for about six years before this event and it unleashed his ability to experience feelings And he was actually like a rock, a pillar in this family for like the first six months because he was able to to navigate this and go, hey, dad, how are you feeling today? Where are you at today? Where's your head at? And again, those are the moments where you sit back and you look and you go, God, I see you so clearly right now because this young man could not express emotions. Emotional connection was such a difficult task. And now his mother dies and he is the one who steps up and says, how are you doing? Where's your head at? And it's all right to cry, dad. I cry. (laughs) So yeah, the, the children, and again, this is a lifelong process, but here it is. We're just out three years and, and we are, I, again, I've got kids who are, who can laugh, who have found joy, who can find joy and grief in the same paragraph in the same 10 minute interval. Um, but it can still lay us to our knees. It really can, especially on birthdays, her birthday, her, her heavenly birthday. um, Those dates will never be diminished. They'll never lose their importance.
0: Terry, what did, what did your community do right? You lead a veterinary practice. What, What did people at the office and what did people at church and what did people in the neighborhood, what did they do well in, in the wake of your loss? I love that question.
1: Cause so frequently we say the opposite, what did, what could we do better, but let's stay there. I love the positivity of that. Um, I'll start with the family or the neighbors. Um, I have neighbors who, here it goes. I, I, in my grief, in my grief, anger, I cut every tree down on my property. Almost and I burned it through a pit I was like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a release for me, but I was out there with a chainsaw and the fire was 12 feet high and the neighbor would come out with a beer and go, hey, where's your headache? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm like, we're, we're, you know, we're pretty hot today. Can you tell? And he's like, I can tell I seen it. And just, he sat there and talked to me for half hour and there's, you know, but he'd plug in, we'd park our lawnmowers next to each other. I have family members, uh, uh, friends of the family uh, who still bring food over it's been three years and they'll bring food over t- every other week. And I have had some individuals bring food for, Three years and then they stop. But think about that for a moment: three years of, of bringing in not just a little pan of food, enough for me as a single dad to feed my kids for leftovers for two or three extra meals. It was immense, and it wasn't always worth Sometimes the food was just out in the front steps, right? So it's not like, hey, you got to occupy all my time on just bringing food. But the plugins uh, work. I, I have great uh, colleagues and and staff members. Um, they covered me for the first couple of weeks. They supported me because obviously you get your brains in a fog for the first year. And, you know, a lot of them would just simply come up to me. And then again, I think the most important part is, hey, how are you doing today? Open it up. I know it's scary to do that because guess what? You never know what you're going to get, response you're going to get with that, right? Because suddenly you might, he might occupy my time for an hour. I don't have an hour. No, still ask the question. It's so valuable. Um, and then be prepared for an authentic and genuine response, which could be, hey, I'm doing all right, or it could be tears, right? And so they did that really well. I, I have a term at the clinic where it's like, you know, I need a dumpster moment. I go to the dumpster. Um, I deal with clients who come in the room and we don't – sometimes, here goes, I have clients who – some people who I don't even know because there's the coincidence part. I don't believe in coincidence. They'll come in the clinic and they'll actually – share with me words of comfort and support that I actually prayed for that morning. I said, God, how do I get through this? How do I navigate this? These are my predominant emotions. And this client will walk in the door who I hardly know and they will speak those words to me. I hold all my things together here. And I'll tell the staff I'm going to the dumpster a minute because I'm so profoundly shaken by the words and the answer that I just received. And I'll weep at that dumpster and I'll come in and my face is red. My eyes are puffy. And I re-engage and they're, they are cool with it. They're like, this is, this is life. This is normal. Um, I have a few close friends. I have three close male friends. Again, they, I use this metaphor again. They're like pillars. They are like fence posts, 40 feet in the soil. I twirl around them. I pull on them. I try to break them and they, they don't go anywhere. One gentleman sat on the deck here that week after I buried Marlis, and for three hours in the heat of July, for three hours, I wailed, I raged, and he sat there and he just listened. And he listened, and he just sat in that sacred space of my grief. Another gentleman who I, I was part of a cosplay group, a troop, and um, we went to Kalamazoo. He drove. I sucked all the oxygen out of the car as he just sat there and listened all the way down there. We trooped on the way back. I sucked the oxygen out of the car again. And again, those are the things that, again, I don't think you need an army of people to come alongside you. My experience is I need two or three good men, like a special forces unit. Just give me two or three good men who I can be authentically genuine with and vulnerable. They can see all the facets of Terry, all the indignity, all the ugliness, all the rawness and still go, I got you. You're still my brother. I love you. I don't understand everything you're going through, but I got you. And I'm, I'm here with you Um, in the church. I mean, I won't name, name names, but the church I go to, I still attend. has been fabulous. I've, I went back to church for the first time. I went back to church because my daughter is in the youth ministry. She assists in the youth ministry and says, Dad, I want to go. I want to see the kids. I entertain them. I'm like, I really don't want to go to church, right? I'm this, you know, We're two weeks in. I don't want to go. I don't see anyone. And she's like, I want to see my kids. So I went. And as I'm sitting in the church, I sing a song. I have tears rolling down my eyes. I look to my left, and I have an assistant pastor seated to the left, I have the youth pastor seated to my right and look behind me. I have a senior pastor behind me. Hmm. Didn't know they were there. And suddenly I had hands on my shoulders and just like, we got you. We're here. The youth ministry took in the three younger children and integrated them into, Hey, help us with the kids. And so now they're pouring into the kids and that, that was a great outlet for them. That way they don't have to sit in church. You know, they are active. They put some motion to their emotion. Family just came to be, The kids came together. There's nothing we cannot discuss at this kitchen table. This house is a safe place. I don't care what words you use. I don't care what language you use. I don't care what level of despair you share. I want to hear it. I want to experience it. I want to be here with you. And we as a family will walk this path together. And, I, and, and they honor this, um, the, ch- the table has turned charcoal black a couple of times, okay? Uh, and by the same token, there's flowers and bouquets on this table at times. And so we can oscillate, but the family, the community, incredible, incredible. Never forget the small things, sometimes they're the biggest things.
0: That's so good. Terry, how did, how did you know that you were ready to talk to a a counselor or therapist? Like what, if, if you're talking to somebody who's grieving now, what, what are some of the signs that that it might be time for them to engage somebody who's a professional, who can help them baby step their way forward? Well, truthful, I was in counseling for a decade before. Okay. okay,
1: Before she passed. And again, I, I really believe in the tea leaves that that was preordained. Okay. Um, because the gentleman in your office who I work with knew me; he knew me intimately. And yeah. so, when the green stuff hit the fan, as I may say, on the farm, and this this tragedy occurred, um, he was there. And so, we had a pretty quick on ramp that way. Okay. I would recommend that. Here goes one in,
0: well, of
1: in the end of the things here: the practical steps that I'd offer people, at least just from my experience, is yes, find a counselor but you have to have a counselor who is familiar with grief and a counselor who's familiar with suicidal grief. Okay. Um, and not to marginalize young counselors or anything like that. That's not the point, but you do want someone who has experience counseling people with suicidal loss. Cause again, you got the trauma and you get the the, the death and the trauma combined there. So that's valuable, but I have a close friend who lost a family member due to accidental death. And again, I'm going to be careful here, but you can recognize in the communication the amount of pain that they're still experiencing. They have no outlet for that pain. They they struggle with a pathway forward. And I'm not saying your counselor is going to be like, here's you know, here's the golden inlays. To, this is the road I want you to follow. And sometimes we go in circles. But I do think you need a counselor. I think you need. I think an individual who goes through again. I can only speak of suicidal loss. You need. It's a capital N E E D. You need a counselor. Um, to just to communicate with and to under to share your emotions as an outlet. I could tell you that Matt has listened to the same story probably a hundred times. I could walk in there, he could put the tape in, close the door, hit the play button. And he's like, that's the same message you shared with me a hundred times before, but here it goes. Sometimes you got to speak things a thousand times and before your paradigm changes, right? You got to say it. And even though it's like, I know I'm redundant, I know I said I hurt. I know I said I'm angry, but here it is again. And he sits in that. But I think it's that processing. It really is. And again, I think a Christian counselor with a higher power of God engaged here. I don't know how people navigate this type of loss
0: without a higher power.
1: I don't know how you do that. I'm not sure if that answered your question.
0: No, that's great. Thank you so much. Terry. any other closing thoughts or suggestions for people who are who are walking this path? Yeah, so I I just wrote down some
1: steps, so bear with me. It'll be a little bit of head reading back and forth here, but these are things that I found helpful. And then I think someone, again, when you're initially navigating the the loss or grief, you're going to be buried in darkness and clouds and fog. But here's some of the practical things. I think, number one, again, I'll start with this. I think you need a higher power, no different than any 12-step group. You need a higher power. You need to get out of your own head for a while. You need to look at things through a different dimension. Uh, God is that for me, okay? I do think you need to put grief on a leash. You need to take grief for a walk. You need to engage your senses. When I go outside and walk, run, bike, I can feel the wind in my face. That's new data entering my brain. I can see the leaves changing color. I can smell the flowers. I can see the wildflowers. It costs nothing to walk. It's free. It's nature. It's what God gave you. Um, ask God to unveil himself, ask God to show himself to you in a real and tangible way. I have, you know, I don't, again, I say this the third time, there's no coincidences in my life. So when I have a green eyed dragonfly show up in my backyard, which I don't see many green eyed dragonflies, my wife had beautiful green eyes. I don't find that a coincidence. I don't find hummingbirds coincidence nor cardinals because they do not navigate my geography over in this location. Okay, so when they show up or you get a hummingbird who drinks three inches out of your garden hose while you're watering flowers, that ain't no coincidence. That's God breaking into your life, going against nature and say, Terry, I got you. But ask God to manifest himself through nature, through other people, through clients, you know, where they can again, you can see God and feel him in a real tangible way. And I do believe in my faith, my faith journey that he he will make himself evident journal your emotions. I'm not a journaler. I hate journaling. There's that. But my counselor said, just journal your emotions, five emotions of the day. Most of it dealt with anger, rage, sadness, loneliness, and abandonment. There it is. Now I write in sentences in my journal. Now I write paragraphs in, in my journal, but the journal now also navigates. I look back and I say, look at where I was and look where I'm at. I am making progress. It's self-reflective, right? That I'm making progress. Journal of gratitude journal. What am I grateful for? Sometimes I couldn't be grateful for something for a week, but now guess what? Every day I'm finding two or three things that I can be grateful for. Gratefulness and joy or gratitude, I think are kryptonite to grief. It punctures little holes right through grief. It softens grief. It lessens the intensity of grief. It's part of the transition I think God has in place for us. So just consider that. Meditate, whether you're breathing, you're doing the singing bowls, whether you're praying. Get a therapist. I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Support groups. There's support groups for suicide survivors. I understand. I understand it is a Facebook. I think they're on Instagram as well. That's a suicide support group I attend every month. You are not alone. You will find your emotions are not alone. You will find a community of individuals who are different places on this path. Some years or decades ahead of me, some as fresh as a week attend that group. And it's very helpful. If you need medications from your physician, ask for them. Have your close friendships, two or three people in an authentic, vulnerable relationship is important. Believe that you still have purpose. I still have purpose. I have meaning in this life. God has purpose for me in this life whether that be a father, whether it be a doctor, whether that just be a grandfather, whatever I purpose. And lastly, understand that I believe that God will, almost like the process, the Japanese process of Kinsuji, that God will put us back together. He'll take the broken pieces of our heart and our soul and and through the ethereal weld of his love and through the gratitude we, we start to form and the joy we start to experience, those pieces will come back together and we can become whole again. I know that may seem impossible, but I'm experiencing it. I know people who've gone before me who are experiencing it, but it is a journey and a process. And remember with the process of Kinsuji, the, the mug gets broken into fragments and it gets put back together, but they get put back together with a well that you can feel and you can see, but the original is not the same. The life I live is not the life that has died. And again, one breath, one step, repeat.
0: Terry, those are great words. Thank you so much for just your courage and your candor. I, I know that your words are going to bring light and hope and encouragement to people who are, who are going through really hard times. And I'm so grateful for your willingness to share your story. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate your time. Well, it's my pleasure. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.